Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Good afternoon, and the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. This afternoon, we are going to discuss what has been called the Beyonce Mass, and this took place on April 25th at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, California. And just like the name says, Beyonce Mass, uh, Beyonce's music was played at the Mass. No, Beyonce didn't appear. Uh, but you would think that she did because uh, my understanding is they have a weekly service called The Vine about every Wednesday. And usually it's about 50 people that will participate in the Wednesday service. But in this case, when they said that they were going to have Beyonce, the Beyonce Mass, it was more like 750 people. So it was a, a huge, huge increase uh, in, in attendees. And uh, that's what we're going to discuss this afternoon is about the uh, Beyonce mask, Beyonce's music being played in order to uh, draw attendees to this uh, religious service called the Vine. So uh, joining me here in the virtual living room, I have our brother Kabar. Yes, shalom, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you, Brother Josiah. Good to be with the other panelists. Uh, giving all praise, honor, and glory to the Most High in the name of Christ for all things and everything. He's going to be back on another show. All right. Um, well, Kabar, one of the first things I want to do uh, while we're waiting for uh, Kazakia and Abaja to join us uh, is I want to uh, play a clip for our audience to give them a uh, a better understanding of what this Beyonce mass is all about and a little bit of understanding of some of the controversy surrounding it. I'm at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, California. Hundreds of folks are going to come here to witness the Beyonce mass, bringing together secular music and a religious message to tell a story of empowerment for particularly women of color, but for anyone who happens to sing praises to the goddess herself, Beyonce. Uh, we do have a community that is youthful and loving and looks to the world as a partner, not an enemy. So if that's new to you, I hope it's good news. God actually loves you. What can you tell me about the progressive nature of Grace Cathedral? I think a lot of the people who show up tonight are people of color, LGBT people, people on whom other people's narratives have been projected. And I mean, just to be honest, the church hasn't been the best about lifting up those voices. It really began as us saying, how can we actually be the people of God that we hope to be in the world? And Beyonce is the perfect passage to get that message out there. Honestly, I think Beyonce is a better theologian than many of the pastors and priests in our church today. That is not an exaggeration. According to a recent Gallup poll, Catholic church attendance has gone down nearly 40% since the 1950s. But tonight's Beyonce Mass is set to draw crowds in the hundreds. 
And though I don't consider Beyonce to be a religious symbol, like some of her most ardent fans, there's no denying her strong use of religious symbolism throughout her music and performances. Paying homage to everything from female African deities, The Last Supper, Black Madonna, and the Virgin Mary herself. I spoke with Reverend Yolanda Norton, Beyonce fan and organizer of the event, to find out where the idea came from to mix Beyonce with the Bible. The event was born out of a class that I teach mm-hmm. uh, called Beyonce in the Hebrew Bible. So I walked them through this process of thinking about how the music of Beyonce helped us have conversations about black women and how we worship and our mm-hmm. spirituality. So talk me through how you analyze a song like Flaws and All for your students. She has this ambiguous audience, right, in the song. Maybe it's Jay-Z, maybe it's her fans. But I love it when she says, you know, I'm a train wreck. I'm a train wreck in the morning. I'm I'm a bitch bitch in the the afternoon, afternoon, right? I'm a bitch in the afternoon. Every now and then, without warning, I can be really mean to you. Right. I can be really mean towards you. So what we do in the worship services, we make that about a conversation that we would have with God. So if you imagine that as a prayer to God, how many know why you love me? And that's that's why I love you, right? neglect you when I'm working? Yep, we all do that, right? So it's really about naming black female spirituality is embodied in that song. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We live in a world where a mostly male church debates whether or not women should be ordained, Mm -hmm. but Jesus chose Mary of Nazareth, a woman of color, and another woman of color, Mary of Magdala, to be the prophet of the resurrection. So what is very clear to me is that God is a lot more comfortable in trusting his power and authority to women of color than the church is. I've been asked time and time again, why Beyonce? I believe that she reminds us that sometimes you have to do your thing your way. You don't do it on demand. You don't do it for your oppressor. You don't sing when they want you to sing. You sing when God tells you to sing. Never give them your song. unapologetically a minister of the gospel, I am unapologetically a biblical scholar, and I am unapologetically a Beyonce fan, and I don't feel like I need to apologize for any of those things. I think that Yolanda's sermon of knowing when to hold on to the hands that are next to you and, and stand tall and to not give up, those are messages that are not exclusive to just a woman of color experience. Those messages are necessary for everyone. And to use Beyonce and her music as a platform to bring people into the church to hear the message was truly, truly powerful. Okay, brothers, um, that uh, was the clip. And I'm trying to find, um, from. I'm going to draw on a couple of articles, first of all. And one is from... Uh, CBN News and it's dated for May 19th, uh, 2018. The title is California Episcopal Church Holds Beyonce Mass where hundreds worship with her songs. This was written by Kayla Root. And um, the other one is from the Huffington Post um, written by Carol Curio Villa, 
And the title was This California Church is Hosting a Beyonce Mass. That was uh, updated April 20th of 2018. So from the first article, there is a, uh excerpt here from uh, the Reverend Yolanda Norton. And let me find exactly where I want to start this. Okay, she says, uh, uh, Norton is an assistant professor of Old Testament at San Francisco Theological Seminary who teaches a class she calls Beyonce in the Hebrew Bible. Now, you heard in a clip, uh, Kabar, you heard in a clip where she said that she's a huge fan of Beyonce. And she's, uh-huh. she's a theologian. She's teaching this class on Beyonce in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so it goes on to say, People think we are worshiping Beyonce. None of that is true, she said. This is a way to have different kinds of conversation. During the service, Norton said in a separate interview, they used lyrics from Beyonce's songs as examples of what the crowd's prayers to God could be. She said the service focuses on empowering women of color and other minority communities. I've been asked time and time again, why Beyonce? Norton preached to the crowd during the Mass. I believe she reminds us that you have to do your thing your way. You don't do it on demand. You don't do it for your oppressor. You don't sing when they want you to sing. You sing when God calls you to sing. Now, obviously to a lot of people, this sounds like uh, a very credible reason and justification Behind using Beyonce's music um, in this in this mass, but for some people, obviously, it, that's not the case because there's some people that came out in opposition, um, and there were even some people that came in opposition that did so with scripture. So Kabar, uh, sh- should should the, should you uh, just go in your own mind to uh, make a decision on um, whether this is appropriate or not, or should you go to the Bible, or is there some other way to make a decision on whether it's appropriate or not to have Beyonce music uh, in a mass? Well, exactly, and I think that's where we should start as far as understanding, because we're talking about they proclaim themselves to be a church, and from the looks of it, it's a Catholic church because they hold a mass, among other things. So your your volume's and a little bit low. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, but your volume is a little bit on the low side. All right, can you hear me better? Yeah, that's that's a little bit better, just a tad bit. Well, I mean, I, I have my volume all the way up. Um, I don't know. Okay, it's maybe it's me then. <laughs> okay, go ahead, bro. Yeah, so I um, you know, looking at this is a church um. More than look of it is a it's a, a Catholic church or Catholic affiliated church and they're holding mass. Okay, and so we were we want to first get an understanding on uh, what is mass and how was Rosie worshiping in the church, okay? Or as members of the body of Christ and what's that supposed to be. So I'll just I'll just start from the secular view of it. This is from the Encyclopedia Britannica, right? And this is okay. Mass in the Roman Catholic Church. So what is Mass according to 
the doctrine and the settings in the Roman Catholic Church. They are they are Catholic Church. And so Mass it says the central act of worship of the Roman Catholic Church, which culminates in celebration of the sacrament of the Eucharist, and that's dealing with you know taking the body and blood of Christ. Um, and it says the term Mass is derived from the ecclesiastical Latin formulae for the dismissal of the congregation. So it is ecce nisse esta, meaning go, it is descending, dismissal. So that, it, it, you know, that word derives from the Latin word. And it, it basically is talking about um, the dismissal of the congregation after they have come together. And it's about the coming together is the worship of God in the name of Christ and into which they take the sacrament, so on and so forth. So that's the purpose of the Mass. Now, of course, that is derived from, now, the, the, the Catholic way is, of course, um, uh, polluted and uh, uh, changed way from what it, the original meaning when you look in the Bible. So when you look in the Bible, so you have a, a, a sure foundation. You see how the Roman Catholics do it and what it means. Okay, now let's look in the Bible and see exactly what that means. So when you look into the book of Leviticus, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 23, can, you can start, uh, we'll just start verses 1 and 2, and it says, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts, and then he goes on the list of Saturday and the other times that we come together. Um, so that we understand what that word feast means in that same ch- chapter, verse 37, it tells you. It says, these are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation. You see that word again, holy convocation. It says, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a meat offering, so on and so forth, and so about the offerings. So what we have to understand, now in Christ, we still come together as a congregation. Okay, we still gather together. It is in the name of Christ. We don't do the, the Levitical uh, ordinances and the, and the Levitical rites that you read back there as far as the animal sacrifices, of course. But the whole thing is we do gather together in the name of Christ or we, we have holy convocations still. Now, understanding this word convoking or convocation is the equivalent of what you call mass, meaning it is a call, it is the act of convoking a large formal assembly. That's what a convocation or a mass is. So, but this, the convoking, which is a call or a summons, we understand when you read Leviticus, is actually a call or a summons from God in Christ to gather together. Of course, we know the Sabbath days we gather together and other other holy days that the Lord has designated we gather together. But this call and the summons or this convoking or this mass is when we worship God and acknowledge God in the name of Christ. So that's the purpose of mass. And that's the purpose of the congregation coming together. Okay? It's not for anything else. It's not what we make it up and want it to be. So that's the first thing we have to understand. Is what the what the mass is actually supposed to be for and about. It's supposed to be for uh, 
the, the congregation to come together to worship God in the name of Christ. That's what, that's what mass is. That's what it's supposed to be for. So did you want to touch on, on a different point? Can you hear me, Josiah? Can you hear me, Josiah? Hello? Okay. Um, I had muted myself. I apologize. Um, so the the, the point so, is uh, – I'm sorry? No, go ahead. I would just ask if you want to touch on additional points, but I just wanted to lay the groundwork so that we understand what, what a mass is supposed to be about um, and, and what the conversation is supposed to be come together in the holy conversation right. and calling to God and assembling together with what that's about is not a random uh, thing that we decide what is going to be in time, but it already has a meaning and a purpose. And, it, and as we just described, that meaning and purpose is supposed to come together, to come to God, for us to come together to worship God in the name of Christ. That's it. That's the master. It's not what we want it to be or create our own meaning. So I just wanted to lay that groundwork first and foremost. Right. So, um, and you did a beautiful job of laying uh, that groundwork, and that 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 is um, uh, really um, a, a good thing to do because a lot of people don't understand mass. They're not Catholic. They, you know, like like me, you know, not Catholic. Never been Catholic. Uh, heard this word mass for a long time, but had no notion. So very very good information. But what what I want to um, focus on for right now is how do you go about making a decision on whether this Beyonce music is appropriate at this mass or not. You know, is is this something that you just innately born with, uh, the ability to discern whether this is appropriate or not? Or uh, should should the, the, the reverends and so forth, should you just trust them and what they say to know that it's appropriate? Or did you go to the scriptures to find out whether it's appropriate? Or is there some other method? How do you determine what is appropriate? Because, you know, this is this is controversial. Obviously, yeah. the, the people there at that church that put it on, they, they are okay with it because they put it on. Otherwise, they wouldn't have did it, right? But then there are people that have come out and voiced opposition to it, saying that it is inappropriate. And some people have actually gone and cited scriptures to say that. You know, so... Is it appropriate or not, and how do you go about deciding? Well, I guess the first thing, how do you go about deciding whether it's appropriate or not? Well, because everything is, is stemming from the foundation that we just laid as far as you understand we're talking about a church and a mass. You understand what the purpose is. And I know you played the clip, and a lot of things are discussed in it, except that you can go point to point on. But would you, let's just reference that Huffington post uh, article, this uh, California church hosting the Beyonce mass, right? Uh, when you look uh, the third paragraph down, dealing with Reverend Gene Harmon, okay? Um, uh-huh. Pastor Devine. It says, uh, she, she points out in that third, article, third uh, paragraph in the article, it says, uh, Reverend Jude Harmon, founding pastor of Divine, pointed to how Jesus uses Use ordinary stories to preach the gospel, parables about vineyards, day laborers, stewards, and other figures that would have been familiar to his audience. He said, the up, 
he said the upcoming mask uses a familiar part of modern culture, Beyonce's lyrics in the same way. So that's that's something in and of itself that we would have to discuss is will we use the lyrics or the words of a man and their writings in the same way that we should look at the parables of Jesus Christ and the baby? Can, can you even put those in the same category? Okay, so that's one thing. It goes mm-hmm. on to say, it says, he said the mass, right? Think, listen, he said the mass seeks to elevate the experiences of black women. Okay, he also says the sad truth is that uh, dominantly white churches and even many traditional black churches have historically not done a good job of elevating and celebrating black female voices, Harmon says. This is not just an oversight. In the language of our Christian faith, it is a sin, and we are called to repent. So if you're grounded and settled in the scriptures, you know everything he said is just madness. Okay? It's, it's not it's not biblically based words in scripture. So let's go uh, point for point and understand what this is about. He said the man seeks to elevate the experiences of black women. Is that what God is even for? Then he says, the sad truth is that dominantly white churches, even many black, traditional black churches, have historically done, not done a good job of elevating and celebrating black female voices. Is that the purpose of the church, to elevate and celebrate black female voices? Okay, so what does the scripture say? <laughs> Whose voice are we supposed to be lifting up? What are we supposed to who are we supposed to be elevating and lifting up in the church? The scripture says, when you go to John uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, um, the scripture says this, and this is from Christ. It says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. So in the mass, which is the convoking, the calling together of believers in Christ to worship God, when we come together, the scripture says, who are we supposed to lift up and elevate? It says the Son of Man, John three fourteen. even the Son of Man uh, must be lifted up. So when we come together in church, it's not about lifting up black female voices and elevating them, or anybody for that matter. Mm. It's about lifting mm. up and elevating Christ's voice because he gives us the understanding and the instructions on how to worship God. So it's just about a fundamental flaw in the way you think about what church is. So when he, when he goes on in that same quote, the fourth paragraph down in that Huffington Post article, and says this is not just an oversight in the language of the Christian faith, it is a sin. Is it a sin? And, and then he goes on to say we are for the repentance. So is it a sin that we're not lifting up and elevating black voices? Or is it a sin if we're not lifting up and elevating Christ's voice? Which one is the sin? The sin is if we not elevate Christ's voice, but instead, in this case, elevate uh, black female voices and experiences. That's the sin. So we're, we're talking about the classic, when you go into the book of Ezekiel, when you talk about for inactive, gross darkness, how... A darkness has covered the world and gross darkness of people. And when they talk about, they, when, when they say uh, good is evil 
and evil is good. That's what we're talking about in this situation. Because he's talking about when we don't lift up these, these so-called black female voices and experiences, that's evil. But he did not say when we don't lift up Christ's voice, that's evil. So it just goes to show you how this whole upside-down world we live in, where evil is good and good is evil, you see that exactly played out in this scenario. No. Churches, mass is about the conquer of convoking, calling together, of the, of the followers of Christ to worship God in the name of Christ. Mass is not anything else. And when we come to church, it's not about elevating or lifting up anyone else's voice. It's about elevating and lifting up Christ. That's what the scripture said. Anything outside of that, when you're dealing with the convoking together, holding together of the church, or lifting up or elevating anything other than Christ, that's when the sin comes in. That's when the transgression comes in. So you see, it's completely backwards we, what they're doing at this so-called church. Because it's not about Christ. It's about man. It's about woman. It's about the world. And that's another point that I want to hit on. And uh, because of the, the uh, audio you played, it covered a, a great many topics. And one of the things that was covered when you go back to the CBN article, he said um, that uh, this is uh, Reverend Jude Harmon again. He said, we have a community that is youthful and loving, whatever that means. And he says, and looks to the world as a partner, not an enemy. Okay, so. It goes right back to, are you grounded and subtle? Do you understand what he just said, and is it scriptural, right? So, right. so let's look at that. Are, are we supposed to be looking to the world as a partner and not an enemy? Or are we supposed to be looking to the world as an enemy and not a partner? Which one is it supposed to be? Okay. So how are we supposed to look at the world, period? Let's look at the scriptures so we can find out how we're supposed to view this thing. Because if we go based on what Harmon is saying, what, what direction is that going to lead us? That's why the scripture tells us, let God be true in every man a liar. In Romans, it tells us that. And then it tells us to Peter, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, meaning as God has commanded, according to the commandments of God. So let's go to that. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. How do we look at the world? As a partner or as an enemy? John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. That's the one, though. For all that is in the world, all means everything, right? Right. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that's very important because... When you talk about the world, it falls directly into one or all of those three categories. It's either going to be the lust of the flesh, fornication, so on and so forth. It's going to be the lust of the eyes, covetousness, money, and whatever. Or it's going to be the pride of life, what man is accomplishments, the greatness of man. It's going to fall into one of those three categories, and there aren't any other categories that's going to fall into. Now, the last verse, verse 17, 1 John, the second chapter. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So let's go back to that quote that Reverend Jude Harmon said when he said, We have a community that is useful and loving that looks to the world as a partner, not an enemy. 
if we understand it according to the scripture's point of view, we're supposed to look at the world as the enemy and not a partner. Now, yes, the world is the enemy because the world is what? First John chapter 5 and verse 19, it says this, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's what you make a partner? Think about what he's actually saying. Is that a partner or is that an enemy? So that's the problem when the scriptures talk about being able to not lean on your the way you think and your own understanding, but lean on the scriptures. Because if you go based on what this so-called reverend is saying, you're looking to, to the world as a partner. A partner is something is someone you engage with on an equal level, or you look at as a, a, a look at as an advantage or or an assistant. And that's not how we're supposed to look at the world. The scripture tells us that the world lies in wickedness, is about the lust, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and about uh, 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 the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it goes on to show us that the, the God is, is not in the world, and God is not about the world, but God is about righteousness and, and, and justice and, and, and spiritual understanding in Christ. And so that's why when you took, look at this situation here, when he's talking about looking into the world as a partner, that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to be hearing your preacher preach to you. He's supposed to be giving you the understanding on how to be in the world, but not of the world, not looking to the world as a partner, because actually the world is an enemy. That's why we have to be let our light shines one. We have to be uh, 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 wise as serpents and harmless as doves so that we know how to deal and operate in the world and not allow the world to become a partner, usurp us, and destroy us through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that's another aspect that we have to look at that basically the lies out of being preached and taught in, in this whole Beyonce mad situation. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that, bro. Uh, Kazakia, um, Kabar has uh, bought a lot of scriptures uh, that really discredit this mass and the way this thing has been conducted. Um so the question I have for you is, uh, is it appropriate for him to go to the Bible, to the scriptures, to discredit this activity that's going on in this church? Um, and if so, how do you know that he should be going to the scriptures? Well, because first and foremost, giving all praises to the Heavenly Father in Christ, and thank you for having me get on the show. And I do not disagree with Kamar and anything that he stated. And we, we we should go to the scriptures. And the reason why we should go to the scriptures is because the scriptures contain everything that we need to establish the foundation of the true relationship that we're supposed to be having with the Lord God Almighty. It's all in the scriptures. Just somebody so, can say those, those that, are just your words. No. no these are not my words. These are words that have existed long before me, and these are words that will exist long after me. And being that this Bible has been existence for countless years, obviously there's something within the pages of this book worth paying attention to and listening. The problem no, what I'm is saying, our people... What, what, oh, go ahead. What I'm, what I'm saying is that when you say that uh, someone should go to the scriptures to make decisions on what's right and wrong, Someone could say when you make that assertion, those are your words. That assertion, that's those are just your okay. words. So, how do you know 
because you know we, we're going to invalidate you as a person being the uh, a, a word of authority. So now, how do you know? What can tell you that you should go to the scriptures and listen to the scriptures? Okay, let's start off with Romans chapter fifteen and verse four, and it states, "For whatsoever things were written aforetime, meaning aforetime meaning in the past." <clears throat> were written for our learning. So I'm going to stop right there, and let's focus on what that says. For the things that were written in the past were written for our learning. So the scriptures and the things in the scripture, the words, the parables, the examples, the psalms, the proverbs, and especially mm-hmm. the teachings of our, word, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are mm-hmm. here in this book for our learning. In other words, mm-hmm. this is how we learn. This is how we grow spiritually. We look into the scriptures and we see examples of, of what was done wrong and the punishment that was levied against wrongdoers. We also look into the scriptures and see the examples of what was done right and the blessings that came with obedience to the Heavenly Father. The blessings that come and come, I said come as in present tense. The blessings that come with following the teachings and examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all that's being stated from here is the scriptures, the Holy Bible serve as the authority in what is right, what is wrong, and the things that we have to adhere to, apply, as well as teach, so that we are on that one accord with the Heavenly Father and Christ. And I hope that answers mm-hmm. the question. Yeah, yeah, you did because you went to the scriptures and basically the scripture says listen to the scriptures. It's essentially. I want to add to that. Beautiful, beautiful. Go ahead, Kamar. I would like to add. Yeah, because the brother answered it beautifully. I just want to add another scripture so people will, in an amount of two or three witnesses, it be established when you go into also should what is what tells us in the scriptures that we should go to the scriptures for all the answers, right? So when you go also into Second uh, Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen, Second Timothy three sixteen says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, meaning good for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." So when we talk about what's going to give us uh, Teach us righteousness. Well, that's the scriptures. What's going to give us the instruction we need? Well, that's the scriptures. What's going to give us the correction we need? Well, that's the scriptures. What's going to give us the reproof we need? We got to go to the scriptures. What's going to give us the doctrine we're supposed to be adhering to? We got to go to the scriptures. So it shows you everything comes back to what that as it is written, and that's what we're supposed to be focusing on. Love your side. Do you mind if I put something out there, please? Yeah, go ahead, bro. Please do. I want to I want to read this scripture right here. Now this is Ecclesiastes chapter six, excuse me, chapter seven, verse five, and it says this: It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Now, of course, mm-hmm. people may who, who are listening to this program, they may say, "Oh, wow, man, how can you say that? That's harsh." Well, the scriptures sometimes are very harsh. But let's look at what the scriptures are saying. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. So it's better to hear the correction that comes from wise people. 
And when I say wise people, persons who are wise, persons who are wise according to the Bible, persons who are wise according to the teachings of Christ. That means those persons are not only applying the say of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're also teaching them. And that's what makes a man or or a woman wise. So going back to the scriptures, it says it is better to hear the rebuke or correction of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And right about now, the airwaves are filled with songs of both foolish men as well as foolish women. What is the mm-hmm. relevance of this scripture to, the, to what we are talking about today afternoon? The relevance is this. We're having this discussion about Beyonce Man. We're having this discussion about people coming together, convoking, gathering together under the guise or the semblance of worshiping God using Beyonce's music as the vessel or as the vehicle to lift up and praise God. Not true. Now, I have to ask some very simple but rhetorical questions. When was the last time, someone please help me, when was the last time Beyonce said we have to repent and serve God? Where in her music, where in her lyrics does she state or does she instruct that we have to stop breaking the Heavenly Father's commandment and we have to come back and worship him in spirit and in truth. Where is that? So the overall problem, brothers, the overall problem, sisters, is the fact that we are too busy focused on the wrong things trying to get draw nigh or get closer to the Heavenly Father. And for the pastor or the preacher that's promoting this, they are in very grave error, and they have to repent. Because the scriptures tell you, uh, I'm going to get it. This is John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 22, where it says, <clears throat> it says, I apologize, I meant to say verse 24, where it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not in someone's lyric. Hymns. Psalms are what they are. Psalms. They are songs of praise to the Heavenly Father. The Psalms in the Book of Psalms also serve as history lessons. What did we do as a people? What were the good things that we did as a people? What were the bad things that we did as a people? Okay? So you have a whole lot of information. You have a lot of history. You have a lot of prophecy. You have a lot of lessons in the Psalms themselves out of the Holy Bible. Is this to say, or are people saying that 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 uh, Beyonce's songs, her lyrics are on par or on spiritual par with the Psalm as well as the Proverbs and everything else in the Scriptures? No, I hope they're not saying that. But let's get back to the scriptures. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must, must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. That spirit, when you go into John 6 and 63, the words that speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, as stated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, <clears throat> and truth, 
when you read uh, John 14 and 6, where Christ says it out of his own mouth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So we have to seek Christ. We have to look for Christ for our direction, for our protection, for our guidance. We have to, excuse me, we have to look and see Christ in all of these things so that we can be on that level. And I apologize. Let me say this the more, the more correct way. So that we can be once again in line with the Heavenly Father. And anything outside of that to include somebody's music that is that has nothing to do or is non-conducive to teaching about Christ or learning about Christ, you got to let that go. Now, if you choose to listen to your music on your, in your spare time for enjoyment, okay, that's your business. But to base your faith, to base your relationship with the Heavenly Father and with Christ off of some person's lyrics, which teach nothing about repentance, which teach nothing about self-examination, which teach nothing about putting away the flesh, and taking on the fruits of the Spirit, that is not conducive to that relationship that we're supposed to be striving for in Christ. That's you, brother. Okay. Well, thank you for that, uh, Kazakia. Uh, Abaja, uh, these brothers have brought out how, it, through the Scriptures, mind you, how it is inappropriate to uh, bring Beyonce's music into a mass, into church, to try to uplift people. And Kabar eloquently brought out how if you're going to uplift anything, you're uplifting Christ. You know, you don't uh, uplift other people. Uh, so I'm, I'm supposing, Abaja, that the reason why he's bringing that out, and maybe I should ask him, but I'm, I'm going to direct this question to you because I think you're probably on the same page with him. Uh, I suppose the reason why he's saying that is because Christ uplifts us. The Most High God and Christ, those are the ones that pick us up. We don't pick each other up, although we may be used as tools to help one another. But ultimately, the the, the power, the strength, the wherewithal to do so comes from the Most High God. Would you agree with that assertion? Um, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to go straight to the scripture. Um, I'm going to go to the book of Titus, the second chapter. And for those that may not be familiar with Titus, he was actually uh, – a young man whose father, um, basically his mother and his grandmother, rather, raised him up in the scriptures, okay? And as a young man, the Most High blessed him with a great deal of understanding. And when he came up under the tutelage of Paul in the spirit, he became a bishop at a very young age. So Paul is giving Titus uh, some instructions regarding, you know, setting up other men over churches and being of the churches in general. And this is Titus chapter 2, verse 11, to go directly to your point. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So that's going right back to the point that Cabal is bringing out where the, the bishop or whomever was speaking, I forgot what his name was, was talking about being partners with the world. Okay? It says denying ungodliness, worldly lust, and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world because this world is against everything that the Lord Jesus Christ stands for. But let's continue on. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, now I say the Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity 
and purify unto himself a, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So he's reminding Timothy, excuse me, not Timothy, Titus, of the mission at hand. Okay, Christ has the preeminence, not Beyonce. And when it comes to dealing with the people, this is what we remind them of. This is what we're here for. And going to the point, it says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority that no man despise thee. And the reason I went here, Josiah, is because as a bishop being the head over a congregation or over people, you are, the, you are responsible for setting the tone and for setting the mission and reminding people of what we're actually here for. And he's basically showing us that Christ is the source of us speaking to each other in the terms of righteousness as it's outlined in the scriptures. Christ's example is the, the foundation on which we uh, exhort each other when we need encouragement. Uh, Christ's mm-hmm. example in establishing the commandments is what we lean upon when it comes to rebuke or correction. Meaning that when we find ourselves going contrary to what's written in the, in the scriptures, we find ourselves going contrary to what's uh, the example of Christ, and the correction comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself because his spirit is throughout the entire Bible. And he said basically do that with all authority because this is not man establishing his own authority. This is basically us reiterating what's already outlined in the scriptures, and because of that, people will try to despise us. And that's why he told him, let no man despise thee, not because of that, either because of thy youth or because of the words that you're speaking. Okay. And brothers, I really appreciate what y'all are bringing out about this, you know, because this, this whole notion about the music being played uh, is going in a, in a direction uh, that I think a lot of people uh, didn't really uh, get, including myself, um, because, you know, the uh, Reverend, Yolanda Norton uh, has indicated that um, this is being brought to empower the underserved groups in the communities and so forth, something of that nature. So uh, uh, the the church from the civil rights era and, and probably even before then, probably even back during slavery, the church has been has been used as an instrument to empower minority groups, the slaves, black folks here in the, in, the, in the U.S. United States that have been enslaved and the ones that were freed and so forth. So is there anything wrong with the church being used as that instrument to uh, empower underserved communities? You know, not using Beyonce's music to lift, the, lift them up, but just the church itself speaking to these people to empower them, to get them out of you know, tough spots, you know, the civil rights movement, the marches and all that. Kabar, would you would you speak on that for a moment? Well, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier as far as the church, the church in that. Now, the church serves a specific function. The church is not what we want it to be. The church is already what Christ set it up to be. In mass, when we come together, when we call together, it's a reason why we're coming together. So understand, like we went into earlier about when we come together and what's supposed to be lifted up, it's Christ and, and what Christ told us out of the scriptures. That's what's lifted up. Because the thing is, remember, we have to, when you go back into Deuteronomy 28 chapter, we go back into uh, all of the other scriptures that, that speak about, you know, us and being scattered all over the world and the conditions that we're in. Remember, the conditions that we're in and suffering, underserved, 
you know, first one, uh, uh, last one hired, first one fired, uh, getting police brutality, all of these things that we read about is just as a result of what? Curses on our people because of sin. It's not, you know, you know, something random. It's because of sin and transgression. So when you look at <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, I'll just read it. And it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to serve and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Now, question. So-called black community, black women, black men, minorities, are we set on high above all nations? The answer to that is obviously no, right? So we're suffering right. all these things. We're underserved. We're uh, uh, second-class citizens, so on and so forth. Why is that? In the book of Deuteronomy, right, because we're looking at the scripture for everything, and that's the stuff that comes out of people's mouths, looking into the scriptures, same book, Deuteronomy 28, now turn down to verse 15. What does verse 15 say? So you, the most, the, that is described as Jesus' commandment and obey was written in the scriptures, blessing, that in the of all nations. We obviously not in that position, so what happened? Okay, well, Deuteronomy twenty fifteen. But it if it shall come to pass if that will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Okay, so we obviously look at the position we had is is downtrodden. So what happened? So the scripture talks about curse shalt thou be in the city and curse shalt thou be in the field. Hmm. Does that apply to us? Are we cursing it? Are we on the top in the city or are we on the bottom in the city? We're on the bottom. But in the, what, what happened to us in the field? Were we taking cotton or were we on the horses? No. We, we were down there picking the cotton in the field, getting our backs with. Why did that happen? Curse shall thou be in the city, curse shall thou be in the field. Curse shall be thy basket and thy store. Now, take that on tomorrow's terms. What does that mean? Your basket is what you use to gather stuff. You go into the field, you gather it in, and then you bring it to your store. Which you, so the basket is your income and what you make. Your store is what you save and your wealth. So look at our income and look at our wealth. Where is it? Is it cursed? Is our basket cursed? Yeah. Meaning our income. Is our store, meaning our savings, and our wealth, is that cursed? Yes. Okay, so let's, we can go on down the line. So the problem is not people coming to hear a, a good song, because the scriptures talk about, about that also, how the most I says, these people draw nigh with me until they lift, but their heart, meaning their mind, is far from me. We're not, we, we're not supposed to come to church and hear a nice little jig, a nice little song to dance. That's not what church is for. Because the song of dances would got us into this problem. What we need to hear is how do we repent so we can get the curse lifted up off of us. So we could be a lessening of the burdens that we're under by the blessings that come to us through Christ. That's what we need to hear. Because that's the only thing that's going to change our condition. Not a good song or a good dance in church. Okay. Well, thank you, bro. Uh, 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 Kazakia. Uh, mm-hmm. Sounds to me like what Kabar is saying is that, yes, the church is used, uh, can be used to empower black folks, but it has to be done 
by black folks obeying God. That's the empowerment. Would I be correct in that? Yes, it has to be done, not just by black folks. Let's 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 go ahead and establish that as well, because you know we we, we are the curses of the heavenly Father, as uh, my brother Kabar brought it out in Deuteronomy twenty-eight. But those curses do not just apply to quote unquote black folks, because those mm-hmm. same curses that the brother uh, that the brother read apply to our Latin brothers and sisters. They they they, they also apply to our Native American brothers and sisters. On top of the a uh, uh, big curse. And that curse is we are everywhere. Our people are scattered everywhere for one end of, of this earth, not this continent, but of this earth to another. For wherever our people are, you can, note, you can note and see and recognize our people by the conditions that they live in. Those curses that came from the Heavenly Father for our disobedience. So we, we, we have to be a bit more expensive with that particular term because it's not just black folks that, that are suffering the curses of the Heavenly Father for, for disobedience. Okay, so let me let me rephrase that a, a little bit. Let me just say for people who feel oppressed and underserved and uh, they feel like they uh, are not empowered, uh, would they find the empowerment that they are seeking through obedience to God, as it is said in the scriptures. Yes, they would. would that but be? there is a okay. there is a caveat to that. Yes, they would. To answer your question, yes, they would. But there is a caveat to that. Now, when we read in the book of Matthew, please bear with me a second, because I'm getting it right now. This is the book of Matthew, chapter eleven, and let's start at verse twenty-eight. And it says, "Come unto me." Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Christ is saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Labor and heavy laden in what? Physical labor? Pushing pencils and documents all day? No. The labor and heavy laden that we are under is the labor and heavy laden of sin. That's what we're under. That's what's holding us down. That's what's weighing us down as a people. Our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities that I read about in 1 John 3 and 4, where 1 John 3 and 4 gives us the definition of sin. So Christ is telling us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, when we repent, when we begin to follow Christ, when we establish Christ as the centerpiece or the focal point in our lives, and we start to pattern our lives after Christ's teachings and his example, then we will begin to be uplifted. Not one here, not two there. Of course, there are blessings for obedience, but as a people, we are at the repentance. We all have to acknowledge that what we were doing, our attitudes, our mindsets, our actions were wrong, and now we're seeking the Heavenly Father, and we want to get right so that we can come back into his good graces. Of course, we have that through Christ, but there are a lot of people who will not take advantage of that. So now, to answer your question, yeah, for those for the the disenfranchised, or you come to the church for empowerment, yes. But what's the responsibility of the church? 
The responsibility of the church is to teach Christ and repentance, not serve as a vocal tool for some type of political agenda. And you have a lot of churches doing that. The church is supposed to serve as a place where the people can convene, congregate, learn of Christ, seek and receive counsel, and better their lives according to the scriptures that the church is supposed to be teaching. Now, let me read verse 29 right quick. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So we're supposed to be taking Christ's life upon ourselves, meaning we're supposed to be following the example of Christ and the example of Christ is supposed to be present and prevalent in our lives as us being those examples, those lights. So it says again, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We're supposed to learn about Christ. For us to truly learn about Christ, yeah, we're supposed to go to church, but it's also incumbent upon each and every one of us to actually sit down, open up this book called the Bible and study, like it talks about in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. So, yeah, the church has a responsibility, but we as members, as congregants, we also have a responsibility. And that responsibility is not only to study, learn also about Christ, and then teach our family, our wives, and be those examples. That's what we're supposed to do. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, it's not hard to follow Christ. It's not hard to repent. It's not a chore. It's not a drudgery to get right with the Heavenly Father by following Christ. The problem lies with us. We're the problem. Because we don't want to commit to the Most High like the Heavenly Father requires. We want to play. No, we have to be willing to receive that discipline that comes from the Lord in the form of repentance and following Christ. And last but not least for me, this is Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. So prophets served as mouthpieces of the heavenly father, but they also served as teachers. Verse 22, but if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they, have, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. So the church nowadays is supposed to cause the people to turn from their evil ways. The church is supposed to be teaching the people to repent, but that's not happening the way it's supposed to happen. That's why it's still incumbent upon us to learn, to reach out to these scriptures and study, and then apply what the scriptures tell us to apply in the example of Jesus Christ. That's it on my part. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that, Kazakia and, and brothers, uh, Vaja Kabar. Thank you also for joining me here today in the virtual living room uh, to discuss uh, Beyonce, Beyonce's music being played at this mask. Uh, brothers, I appreciate you guys coming here, and uh, hopefully the Most High is blessing all the listeners with edifying, edification through your words. 
most of all, my thanks goes out to the Most High in the name of His Son Christ. So until next time, I say shalom. Shalom. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom. Thank you.